Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. It is my pleasure to be joined today by Tenacious Doc um, for um, anonymity reasons. You know, we're using it, the handle Tenacious Doc because uh, um, our guest is a, he's a physician, he's a psychiatrist in training in India and actually a PSSD sufferer. And so he um, feels passionate about getting um, knowledge out there about PSSD after his experience. And he has very kindly agreed to talk about his experience um, with, with PSSD. So Tenacious Doc, I'm going to ask you, uh, you know, please go ahead and uh, t- tell us what happened to you. Yeah. Hi, Joseph. And um, thanks for giving me this opportunity yeah. and the yeah. platform to uh, try to bring out my story and help others if it's possible in any way. So, um, so my story mm-hmm. begins with, uh, I actually had COVID. So we were, I was doing duties during medical school and that is when I first suffered uh, with COVID. Uh, and after my first experience of COVID, uh, I experienced chronic diarrhea. So that was one of the symptoms which persisted post COVID. So that happened that, uh, so all my other symptoms resolved. I had proper fatigue and all those typical, uh, respiratory symptoms, but those things resolved. However, the, the long diarrhea did not, uh, end after COVID. So I was infected with COVID in around March, 2021. And, uh, after a couple of months of, of having long COVID, um, I <clears throat> long COVID diarrhea, basically I had started SSRIs for a different reason altogether. So I had anxiety. Uh, I, I am a neurotic personality by nature. And also, I, I also had certain obsessive ruminations at that point of time. So uh, once I was done with my basic undergraduate, with a basic graduation, after that, we have a period of internship. So during that time, I had taken uh, acetaloplam uh, just to, you know, get my anxiety under control because uh, I was initially planning to come to the States. So I had taken my step one, which we, as a, which we, which students take to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as a part of the USMD. You must be knowing what I'm talking of course. So yeah. So my that was mm-hmm. in my yeah. I'm a I'm a Australian Australian graduate. I did I, you know, was on the same path as you. Yeah. So so yeah. exactly. So I had taken my uh, initial step one during my graduation. I was planning to take step two CK, and eventually I was planning to uh, maybe shift to the United States and pursue my further education from there. So I had these neurotic traits, and that is one thing which I saw as a drawback, and uh, I wanted that, to get that under control. So. I took it at a time when I was not under heavy academic pressure. I had take, done my graduation. I was done with it. And during my internship phase, I started uh, acetalopram. And that happened in around June uh, 21. Two, three months after I had my first COVID experience. And uh, after doing that, uh, suddenly, even after the first or the second pill, my long diarrhea, which I had earlier mentioned, uh, just resolved on its own. Before that, I tried every every other thing, but this was an unexpected thing. But I didn't put ma- much focus or emphasis on that at that point of time. And even my anxiety and my obsessions they drastically reduced. However, uh, I was at that point of time I was you know suddenly it was like a switch turned on and I was completely relaxed um, and uh, very lazy, very lethargic. So. And I slept a lot initially. And then 
uh, the dose was increased from 5 mg i was taken up to 10 mg and um, however the lethargy i was told that you know this is pretty, uh, these are the initial uh, this is the adjust, initial adjustment phase and eventually you will just uh, you know the side, side effects will subside and that was in line with what we are taught typically that two to four weeks takes for maximum up to six weeks you know your, your body will adjust with the uh, medication so and uh, and i am a very evidence based person <laughs> i have been in medical school so of course i know uh, i i was a blind follower of the entire system so i and and you must have seen in your textbooks also throughout and maybe in australia and the us also that uh, ssris are safe is the statement which is used and they are the safest drugs out there and they are very mm -hmm. commonly prescribed so that was in line with what i was taught so i was like okay this i'll adjust to it i even had genital anesthesia and on the sec on the i guess on the second day only i experienced it and i even mentioned it to my treating psychiatrist that i am having this and he was like okay it's not that common even if it is common it's it, you know it will go away it's acetalopram as it is called by its generic name is a very very safe drug and it's very very commonly prescribed and um and and i was like i'm also getting the benefits you know i'm not feeling that anxious suddenly so he was saying that okay this could be placebo because one or two weeks it will take for you to adjust from uh, with the medication so i was slightly skeptical but uh, i was like okay two three weeks is a fair amount of time so i was willing to wait for that amount of period uh, so i waited for that much amount of time but uh, things did not improve however because i was feeling immense relief from my initial symptoms so uh, i felt that maybe the word, the trade off is worth it so it, i wasn't under very heavy academic pressure so i could afford to sleep for long hours and just relax a bit and i thought that okay let me take this time to you know just rejuvenate then weeks turned into months mm -hmm. um eventually i had to get back to work uh, i had to start studying again preparing for my future uh, uh, basically preparing for my future so once around two or three months passed i was on 10 mg now i was not able to work and it was very shocking for me interesting yeah it was very shocking for me okay so so you start you started in 2021 around did you say it was in january or june uh, did you start in, i started in june june 21 in june so th so 3 months later you're on 10 milligrams and you have to start studying and you feel like cognitively you're not able to engage in the way you used to exactly and the blunting part i also discovered that i couldn't feel that sad anymore uh i was initially very neurotic as i earlier mentioned and this neuroticism it just it just vanished um so that was the good part but the bad parts were equally there so i wasn't able to feel sad you know when things were serious i just lost the ability to cry um and and at that point of time i was too tired to even you know think about because i had duties i had other stuff to work on so i was just trying to push through and uh, somehow and i felt like okay this might not be working i'll just get back to my psychiatrist and i went back to my psychiatrist after a few weeks because i had all this i maybe I, i'm sorry if it's not in a very uh, particular chronologically correct order because it, it has been it's good yeah i can i can completely follow you yeah. please please keep going so yeah. so i just you know i just visited my psychiatrist again and uh, i also switched my psychiatrist because i felt that it's not working out as well as i had expected it to so i was put on a stimulant bupropion or wellbutrin as it's commonly known in the west and the us so once i was put on bupropion uh, initially for a few weeks this combination worked for me very well 
i was able to study again i was able to feel more uh, you know i was able to feel um, you know I, i had better energy reserves and i was sleeping lesser now but uh, that didn't work out for a long period of time uh, for approximately 2 3 weeks it was pretty effective but after that i suddenly had a sudden surge of anxiety on it and uh, then i had to stop it um then uh, then my psychiatrist again recommended me to increase my acetalopram dose she said that you know uh, at this dose it, in some people uh, it can result in a decreased energy and if you increase it by 5 mg then you might as well find more energy so you might be getting depressive features also i was pretty sure it's not depression because depression is very different uh, i had a completely different personality so at that point of time i i just mm-hmm. thought that you know i'm feeling a little bit stuck here because uh, it's not making sense why would i get less why would this thing which is trying to help me put me into a situation where my energy reserves are getting so low that i'm not even able to wake up for my duties at time so um after stopping wellbutrin uh, after around one month or so after stopping of wellbutrin in i would say uh, september i was really struggling with everything and i had started missing duties i was not able to get up uh, it was getting pretty serious for me and at the same point of time i was preparing for step 2 as i earlier mentioned and that was also adversely affected my preparation for my future mm-hmm. exams were also adversely affected so um i would sleep for like 12 15 hours get up in the morning still not feel fresh at all and um i then i would sit in front of the computer screen if i'm not on my duty if i'm trying to study and i would not be able to do and i would not be able to get any stuff done i would feel so damn tired after around 20 25 minutes my eyes would close in front of the screen so it and i was living alone you know you know away from separately from my family so so it was a very difficult time and uh, and when you try to talk about this stuff no one understands what's really going on so they are like okay then just stop the medication but i had an idea that you know all the psychotropic agents should be carefully tapered off so i finally stopped taking advice of my psychiatrist and i decided to come off the medication then i went on the internet searched about it and then i came to know about you know slow tapering there were certain papers by uh, researchers like mark horowitz so i got in touch with those people i tapered off pretty slowly uh, i i guess i took two months but i should have taken longer but i did i couldn't afford more time so because i was currently doing my internship which is a hellish task in itself and i had to prepare for the future so i was like two months is sufficient amount of time so i tapered off it took me two months to completely come off the medication uh in around november 21 i was completely off the medication and uh, but uh, things did when i felt okay i'll improve it will take a, you know maybe a month max after that i'll get back to my work and then i can plan for the future so i thought okay let 2021 pass maybe 2022 i'll be able to get back into my uh, you know original state baseline so uh, that did not happen um the symptoms were sh- shockingly persistent um i maybe i did not mention the entire plethora of symptoms i can go with the entire list so sexual symptoms were definitely please yeah let's as soon as yeah. i stopped my medication the sexual symptoms were decreased you know i and uh, but the other symptoms did not for me the cognitive the emotional and the energy uh, levels were the most adversely affected um as i earlier mentioned the the 
hypersomnolence or the increased sleep was very very was was pathetic to deal with other than that my concentration you know i always felt that i had a very good in concentration levels my picking grasping power before this was pretty good but my grasping power suddenly were very were not the same and the short term memory issues those were you know they were very surprising to deal with because i would do something and then i would lose track of it i would hear conversations and it was it just wasn't the same and uh it's difficult to put in words um and also i had this weird sensation on my forehead uh this as if there's something you know it's a sensation it's not a headache and i've heard many people have this similar symptom uh it was a weird weird sensation and my even my eyes i used to wear spectacles after that i wasn't able to wear spectacles in the same way my eyes were very dry and it was a very weird sensation uh, on my forehead and my eyes so uh, those were the neurological purely neurological symptoms i could decipher uh, in my condition other than that other than that my emotional flatlining as i earlier mentioned i wasn't able to cry uh, <laughs> during serious situations so before this i was a very hypersensitive individual and once i got this condition i realized that no it's really it was very surprising for me that the ability to you know cry during serious situations feel happy during moments of genuine happiness those were affected so there were events like there were birthdays or there were maybe attending funerals of your closed ones it didn't uh, elicit that kind of a response so even fear was blunted surprisingly so uh, social anxiety completely went away so even if i'm driving fast uh, maybe i'm driving a vehicle and even if i'm driving it fast i don't fear i don't feel that fear you know uh, i could feel the palpitations that mm-hmm. yes i'm having a physical response my hands would would sweat but i wouldn't feel it in my head so so it was very difficult to describe and things which were so dear to me you know reading studying uh i was struggling um i had to drop my plans i stopped pursuing my future education outside uh and then i had to have a serious i had a serious conversation with myself that what are my options now so i had my indian exam i took it uh and then i went into psychiatry because i wanted to see what's really happening uh i had this curiosity and i also wanted to help people like me who are in this situation so wow okay so that's really that's really interesting what did you think you wanted to do before this happened to you um initially i was aiming for internal medicine i was uh, uh, pretty interested in medicine okay. yeah so yeah. Uh, i always liked psychiatry but i was okay, so this completely changed exactly. you exactly yeah. exactly okay well yeah um a couple more things i want to ask do you were you able to feel any joy or was it just this kind of like no fear no sadness emotional flatline just nothing just in a very narrow range of kind of is is was that how you would describe it um see uh, the absence of anxiety and the absence of the negative emotions in itself was very relieving for me i was able to feel joy but not that much amount of joy uh, and because most of the time i was very very sedated and sleepy so uh you can say that yes i was experiencing joy but not till that extent you know genuine happiness wasn't there yeah sure and when you said you couldn't read or you couldn't study was that because you had no like uh, motivation or drive or was it mainly because you were so damn tired all the time no it, how do both you both the things both the things because uh 
I'll mention yeah. it later. I was I've also been on modafinil for short periods of time. So that drug, you know, it increases the wakefulness, but it did not give me that kind of motivation. And I still don't have that kind of motivation. It is about pushing through things. It's you're forced to do things. You don't feel like doing things anymore. So before this, I I felt like doing things. I felt like reading. I felt like learning. I want to do those things still, but uh, it just doesn't come from inside. And Mole, the other interviewer you had the other day, he was he described it pretty well that it is as if maybe some switch has turned off. Certain neurotransmitters are altered because it's not the same anymore. Um, it feels like a burden okay. sometimes. And does that translate to things like spending time with friends or family? Like again, it's just like you think that you think that you want to, but you don't feel like you want to do it you know it's just there's not as much of that drive that would naturally kind of bubble up within you that say oh you know I, i'd enjoy that yeah exactly that that uh, that has definitely happened so uh, i had immense energy and drive for things i would like sleep for four or five hours and at one point of time i was studying socializing doing multiple things but after this experience um things felt like a core basically I do. I did enjoy hanging out with friends. I won't lie because I wasn't impacted till that extent. My uh, I did feel joy, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't, uh, you know, like music. People describe music. Uh, uh, music. I could hear music, but it didn't feel the same. The goosebumps, like feeling when you hear your favorite song, or yeah. yeah. So you're getting my point, right? So it's it was different. And. And to tell us about the sexual symptoms, like the genital numbness and and such. Did what was the trajectory of improvement? Because you, you mentioned that when you came off the medication, that side of it actually seemed to improve more. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that improved. Yeah. That improved, and and okay. it was almost back to normal, I would say. So, but okay. But what happened after that was that I was hell bent on correcting the cognitive and emotional symptoms. Because those were the ones that were affecting me the most, so I trialed on certain medications mm -hmm. under supervision of experts only. Uh, then uh, one of the medications I trialed was methylphenidate or Ritalin, as it's popularly called in, in the US. So I took five mg first. And so, say it again. I, sorry, what was methylphenidate? It? Methylphenidate, Ritalin, Ritalin. Oh yeah, maybe. yeah. Ritalin, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. Ritalin, yep. So because it's a dopamine, it increases dopamine basically. So that was the uh, because one of the theories is that we are hypofrontal because of the action on the 5-HT2C receptors, dopamine decreases. So my aim was to increase dopamine. So I tried that medication. It's very popularly recommended also for uh, uh, on many of the forums. So I started it, but. Uh, that resulted in me developing those sexual symptoms. So after that, yeah. So that so that ended up triggering like this, yes. like uh, enduring sexual symptoms. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, yeah. W walk me through that. So like the first, you know, the first couple days or weeks of taking a methylphenidate. How? When did you start noticing that it was actually working against you? Could you? Kind of within, a, within, within, within the first two days only, I felt a difference. Um, uh, and it impacted, mm -hmm. and it was extremely sudden and it was directly attributable. So, so there was no doubt in my mind that this is happening. But then again, I had never heard of this. Even on the forums, uh, on Reddit or other places, I had never heard of this thing happening. So 
I felt that okay, this might help me cognitively. This might be another, you know, thing which has just, uh, which is just, which is, which might just go away. But it did not. And I took it for four five days. That's it on a very low dose. I was on five mg BD and five mg TDS eventually. But it did not help me. It just, it just exacerbated the problem. I stopped it completely after five days. Uh, but the symptoms, the side effects, did not go away. So that are was, they still yeah. enduring today? Yeah, yeah, they are. They are. Yeah. Okay. And is it just the classic constellation of the genital numbness? You know, difficulty maintaining an erection. You know, muted yeah. or weak or non-existent orgasm. Kind of all of that. Yeah, yeah all of those things. Yeah. So all of okay. those things are there. So. Um, what are your thoughts? What do you think happened with the methyl methylphenidate that that reignited the sexual symptoms? I, I don't know. I, I imagine you've had time to think about it. I'd love to just hear hear your theory about how something like that could could lead to it. To be honest, it's a mystery to me because I tried to look up literature. I tried to find why this is happening, uh, but I wasn't able to, you know, pinpoint it to something. It was very bizarre. This entire experience has been very bizarre. And um, I couldn't point out a theory. I tried to. I tried hard to look for it. And uh, at this point, I really got hopeless with this entire, you know, hit and trial thing. Because first, I tried yeah. supplements, L-tyrosine, uh, Alcar, uh, and then I I was taking an approach from a lower to a higher risk. So eventually, I was planning on going on MAO inhibitors if things did not work out, psychedelics maybe. Because these are the things which are recommended and I was trying to, you know, go in a very methodological manner from a low to a higher risk. But uh, stimulants, I hadn't heard of stimulants causing any, you know, relapse of certain symptoms. So my theory, what I understood is that something in my biology has been altered in people of PSSD has been altered once you take the medication. And that alteration stays because and maybe it was masked by something. But as soon as I took the drug, it brought out these symptoms. So and and it's difficult to explain it to anyone because it's so bizarre like you're sitting in my, like if i was in someone other some other person's position i was a doctor and someone came to me and told me all these things i would also be like okay he might be you know he might it might be in his head or he might be delusional he might be having some somatoformic disorder or he might be having illness anxiety disorder or what we popularly call as hypochondriasis so there are so many things, there are so many labels and you can be put into, you are at a risk of being labeled with uh, whenever you go to a physician and describe these symptoms because logically they don't make sense. Uh, according to our well, current the interesting thing and, and, and at least what I've noticed since, because I work with, uh, you know, I interview a lot of PSSD people, but the majority of my work is with people who have benzodiazepine uh, brain injuries essentially and people who have developed uh, protracted withdrawal from antidepressants and they actually describe a similar phenomena so, some people when they're in that state of protracted withdrawal or when they've recently recovered um, they can get triggered by other cns drugs you know if you know it could be something like alcohol it could be someone who uses some cocaine or it could be someone that uses nicotine um, or so or even caffeine sometimes and so it's almost you know when people get to the stage where their symptom has their symptoms have resolved, you know, instead of that being, oh, you know, that that part is recovered and it's good, you may have only gotten to a stage where 
your brain is barely compensating. You know, it's barely rebalanced itself where those symptoms have gone away and it's in this delicate balance. And then when you take this additional thing, you know, it throws it out against and, and that tech toxicity flares up again. And so that's been the kind of the way that I, I think about it. And this is kind of translated into the advice that I give a lot of patients. And it, this is not my advice. This is very common in the communities. It's like when you come off antidepressants or benzodiazepines and you've come through the neurological injuries, you don't touch anything. You know, you don't touch any, you know, certain antibiotics or yeah. other central nervous system drugs for at least a year. And then when you do touch, when you do use them, you start them at the smallest doses because who knows, like, I mean, your brain may only be just kind of keeping itself together and it's compensating super hard. Um, but that, that's how I, I've started to think about it because it is a really unique, um, it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon that seems to be consistent with these types of neurological injuries from the drugs. Exactly. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. But the problem is that yeah. this advice isn't very popular. Like, uh, our, sol no. our solution is always, you know, trying to pitch in more drugs to deal with the damage or side effects of other drugs. So who knows what was the trigger exactly? So, now COVID also comes into the picture somewhere. Uh, uh, I've seen all the communities. I've been following everything closely since the past one and a half, two years. So uh i had my last medication was in november 21 as i had earlier mentioned after that i haven't touched any ssri so i've seen people the the, the subreddits and the, you know the awareness increasing uh, exponentially and post covid there has been a lot of experiences of people having these kind of symptoms and uh, especially the the bizarre experience experience of my long covid diarrhea stopping after one dose of ssri so at that point of time i did not put pay much heed or attention to it but uh, later, when I, uh, as I move forward with my story, I'll tell you why it got so significant for me. So, uh, should I continue with what then happened? If it's yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. please yeah. keep keep on going. Yeah. Yep. So, so after this stimulant experience, I had these additional side effects. So I stopped the stimulant. This happened in 2022. Some I'm not very sure which month because I took it only for four or five days. Uh, I stopped the stimulant and after that then you know I still had all those side effects now I had an additional side effects so and uh, I was barely keeping up with work and uh, eventually as I had earlier mentioned I had to drop my career plans and I had to go and I eventually took up psychiatry here uh, in my home country and after taking up psychiatry I joined in my uh, new place of work uh, as a resident and um, and it was very difficult coping initially then i had another i had a bout of diarrhea uh, at my new workplace and then i took an antibiotic to treat the same so it was during my initial days of joining here only uh, joining at my new place of work so after taking the antibiotic i took a combination of two antibiotics ofloxacin and onidazole so and after yeah so i usually take it for diarrhea mm -hmm. so it's popular here back in india so i took that medication and that this combination is popular here so once i took this medication my diarrhea resolved but after one or two days i was able to feel difference in my brain fog and my energy levels uh it was pretty dramatic um you know my forehead sensation which i was describing which was so troublesome that decreased uh, I was able to understand things better. I was able to wake up after five, six hours and feel more refreshed, more energetic. And uh, uh, again, this was very directly attributable to the drug. 
and uh, and it couldn't be placebo because I wasn't wasn't expe expecting a response from this. It was just a completely random finding. So I took this antibiotic and uh, I I took the course. I took it for five days, but as I as I was experiencing benefits from it, I continued taking it. So I took it for around uh, ten days. Uh, during my first, you know, when I had first had this diarrhea, so it really helped me. Uh, it was the first time I could really feel hope that you know there it, this is reversible. My emotional range returned. I was able to cry. I was able to express grief over what has happened. I was able to concentrate better. My energy levels were improved, and it did not make any sense at that point of time. So uh, this happened, and I felt that okay, I'm almost cured, and I think that this will be the you know. Uh, that finally it's been a year and a half struggling with this situation and uh, this is the way out so I took it for 10 days uh, the benefits were there definitely uh, however after a week or so of stopping the medication uh, I was again starting to experience fatigue so fatigue has been the worst thing from you know worst component of this entire spectrum because fatigue has really, my fatigue is so bad on some days that even after sleeping for long hours, I find it difficult to go to work. And even when I go to work, I'm, you know, it's just very hard to <laughs> focus for long periods of time. So, uh, so I returned to my baseline in some way or the other. However, my forehead sensation that completely went away. So there was clearing up of brain fog, definitely. And uh, I also felt slightly euphoric on the medication. <laughs> so I felt more talk. Now, can I ask, because this is not the first time I've heard about people improving following antibiotics with PSSD. Yeah. What's, what else have you heard in the community um, in terms of these, these responses? Please, please share that. Yeah, so uh, naturally I went on to the online communities to look up on this. And I also tried to look up on various papers on PubMed and other, you know, research engines. So mm -hmm. there is this gut theory which is really popular uh, amongst a lot of people on the online communities. And even the neurologist, I tried to visit a neurologist, I spoke at length uh, about this with him. And uh, basically what, we have a lot of serotonin receptors in our gut. So one of the theories is that uh, taking antibiotics maybe alters the gut in a way which helps us regulate serotonin and hence uh, acts in certain mechanisms which can alter our neurotransmitters in the brain through. So that is the theory which is really popular these days, the gut-brain axis as it's popularly called in scientific circles. So there are people who have recovered from PSSD with this. So many people attribute it to a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. So people try to target that and people are going for breath tests, people are going from, for stool microbiome tests. So everyone is trying to, so this was really popular a couple of months ago also on various platforms. So people were trying to, are trying to fix their gut using this theory. So I did not know about this honestly. I had heard about the axis, but I had never mm -hmm. thought that it, this could contribute in any way to PSSD. So once th I had this experience, I went on the forums again and then I found out, yes, people are finding benefit from this. Um, and that's the bizarre thing about this entire experience that some people, and we don't exactly know how it's working, how exactly it's helping. Some people, not all, because there have been experiences of people taking antibiotics and not being affected by it at all. So, so but for me, it definitely worked. Then I went to a gastroenterologist I got a SIBO test done. 
I was positive. The breath test came out to be positive for me. I started Rifaximin, which is popularly given for that. Uh, but it, but sadly, the benefits did not persist for me. So, um, definitely, it's yeah. really, it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but uh, some aspects. Did you ever think about restarting a floxacin again to see whether? If, I, yeah. I mean, did. Did you consider that? Exactly, yeah. I did. Uh, I have trialed ofloxacin around the combination medication uh, five times till now, and this and it always leads to a benefit. You know, all the, the benefits are always there whenever I take it in terms of energy, in terms of my mood, in terms of my emotional range. So it's a very direct correlation for me. That's interesting. And and what's the combination? Uh, it's ofloxacin and ornidazole, 200 plus 500 mg. And I take it twice a day. Okay. But unfortunately, okay. you can't keep taking an antibiotic. It has its own side effects in the longer run. So, so it's a very difficult choice when to not, you know, take it and when to take it. But it's really. But it is an option. Yeah. It definitely is an option for some people. What? Why, why do you think that that works and rifaximin doesn't work? Um, I don't know, honestly. Yeah, it's really interesting because I know some um, some antibiotics have direct central nervous system effects. Like for instance, things like uh, doxycycline can have pretty notable, um, you know, serotonergic effects. And and I mean that might be an interesting thing to look in. I mean, do do does Onidazole or fluoxacin, you know, have any um, actual uh, central nervous system effects? Well, there, that would be, there are research that, papers. That would be interesting. There are research papers that pointing out that yeah, yeah, metronidazole can even induce mania in certain amount of certain genetically susceptible individuals. So there is some science behind it. I'm pretty sure, but we at this point of time we don't have enough evidence to exactly pinpoint why it's happening. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess moving forward now, what is the trajectory of your symptoms been like, I guess, since you flared it up with the, um, methylphenidate, have you noticed any improvement, any worsening, or has it been essentially stable since then? Um, I would say that there has been overall improvement, uh, but it's not due to time. It's due to this intervention of taking this antibiotic. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, in certain domains, the improvement persists, but in others, I feel like I'm going back to the baseline. So the energy component, I don't know why it's such a, you know, central theme of my, uh, illness, but it is there. And once I stop taking this antibiotic after a week or 10 days, my energy levels still start fading away again. Uh, and it is such a struggle. It, and it's such a weird contrast. It's difficult to put in words how, how this, you know, it's, it's a completely different experience when I'm not on the drug, uh, on the medication. But in terms of my emotions, I'm definitely able to express more. I'm able to fight more for my uh, things. I am more motivated. Uh, right now, this is me being more expressive. I was able to get more expressive. I was able to pinpoint this, these things out. I am doing this because I have you know, some amount of emotions with me after taking the antibiotic. Before this, I was too mm -hmm. tired to comment on anything, too apathic and too, you know, uh, I had a lot of anhedonia before this. 
So, yeah. So there's a little bit more motivation and drive to do things. It, it's, it's breaking through. Okay. That's great. I mean, to me, that's a very positive sign that, you know, that your nervous system is recovering. You know, it's happening slow. It's happening slowly, which is quite normal for PSSD from the people I've been talking to. But it does look like it's heading in the right direction. So I would say you have a lot to be hopeful for if that's the trajectory of your symptoms. Um, the, the other thing I want to ask you, which I think is, you know, I'm really curious about what is it like being in a psychiatry training program where, you know, I imagine that it's probably, I, I don't know, I'm imagining it's med heavy. I know mine was very med heavy. You may tell me otherwise. What is it like kind of going through this training, being aware of, you know, having PSSD and I guess, you know, at least in the US, antidepressants are first line treatment option and everyone gets put on them usually after very short visits i don't know if you if you see the same thing and if it's very hard for you to kind of i I don't know on the one hand like i know what it's like to be in a residency and have these thoughts it's like it's almost easier to keep your head down because you're kind of here to learn you're kind of here just to get through it but I, i wonder if you also feel like conflicted about the things that you see uh, around you while you're in training. I was, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, see, actually, first of all, uh, answering your first question, yeah, definitely, uh, there are short interviews. There's a lot of patient load here back in India, and antidepressants are very, really commonly prescribed. There's no two ways about it. So it's you just need a five-minute or ten-minute interview to start a medication. So that definitely is there. No doubt about that. Uh, and as far as you know, the <clears throat> prescribing rates are concerned, they, the, those are skyrocketing. That is also there. And this, <clears throat> uh, to, to be very honest, uh, it is conflicting for me. Uh, and uh, but I bet I bet it is. Yeah. It, was, it was very conflicting for me as well. Yeah, it is conflicting yeah. for me. But uh being yeah. giving my own perspective keeping my personal biases aside i have seen people actually benefiting from those two it's just difficult to tell who benefits and who doesn't sure. so we don't have mechanisms right now so to tell people that okay this could happen with you that is the the part which is really heartbreaking uh, in today's day and age we don't know <laughs> and we can't estimate and for those who get affected, although yeah. there are they, they are a smaller proportion of people who get affected, but for those it's devastating. That's the message which is very important that to give out that yes, it could definitely help you uh, in certain situations, but there is a s- small risk that things can get pretty bad for you too. And um, so you have to think twice, or maybe even thrice before writing down a prescription. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you know, I second everything you know that that you say there. Um, and, I mean, the other thing is, you know, the patient load is it, it, like, let's say, how many patients would would a, I guess a psychiatrist working in, I guess, the Indian public system, see on a given day? I mean, are they seeing? Because because in the U.S. that might be twenty. I don't know if that's like 40 or something like that in India. What, what, what would you say is the average caseload 
you know, for a busy public outpatient psychiatrist? Um, it's uh, location dependent, uh, first of all, it, and system dependent. So here mm. in India, we have government services as well as private services. And um, so the private ones will charge you on a, you know, uh, on a per hour basis. So of course, they'll see less for patients, but they have mm. a higher fee. So they can give you more time. But in the government setups, uh, there are a lot of people here. So lots of patients. There are new cases, there are follow-ups. And uh, you could, on an average day, you could even see up to, you know, around 10 new cases and around 20, 30 follow-ups. So that makes it 40 patients within yeah. a five, six hour uh, stretch. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. not feasible. I, I, I imagine and... And if you're working, and depending on the demographic you're treating, I mean, it's probably not that likely, you know, that some of them even know how to read the drug labels, you know, or, you know, are able to look at that information. And so... That's true. Um, so then you, you, you end up in a, a situation where, like, you know, I'm, 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 so I'm a practicing psychiatrist. I know what it's like when like how hard it can be to tease out, you know, what, why someone is anxious or why someone is depressed, you know, what's happening yeah. in their life, um, you know, what's the ration, you know, you know, and, and to, like those conversations take a long time. But I imagine, you know, the doctors that are working in those situations where it's like maybe 40 cases a day and you're the only psychiatrist for like, you know, 100 miles or something like that, it's, it, it's probably very like, what are your symptoms? This is how you're feeling, you know, just take this. And it's, and that's, and that's kind of it. And, um, um, that's, it's, and, and you're right, you know, it will benefit several, several people, you know, there, there's no doubt about it, that it can have a, you know, a therapeutic effect for some, but then it's like, what, to, what to do about the people who, like you said, you know the, the the few who are devastated by this for, for years later. I mean, it's it's really it's it's really tricky, and it's something that bothers me bothers me deeply. You know, because I mean, that's, the same thing happens in the U.S. in the in the busy places. They're not quite as busy, but that same kind of way of prescribing and um, and doing things, and it's it's just off. And and I know, you know, I. I I know if you if you had a 16 year old boy or you know someone who's you know 21 or 22 and you told them if you take this medication you know there's a rare chance that you might develop enduring cognitive problems or sexual problems yeah they might say it's not actually that bad you know let me let me just wait and see um and I'll come back if things get really really bad um you know, that's that's the kind of conversations I'd like to see happening around, um, you know, the mental health treatment now, which I completely missed because no one talks about the side effects. Um, and I guess the other thing in, in, in India, which is may, maybe the case because I'm kind of comparing it to, to uh, I guess, what, what we might see in our county systems here is it's pretty much impossible to get someone in to see like a psychologist or someone who could help with counseling or maybe even help, you know, address contextual stresses or, you know, or things that are happening within relationships. And then, you know, when, when you, when you don't have those services, again, more and more gets pushed towards medication management because it's like, what else do you offer people who are suffering? You know, that's, 
I, I don't know if you if you feel like you see similar things playing out in, in you know in in the different environments where you're training. I'd I'd like to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and as you mentioned, as you very well, you put it very well. Uh, there are regions where there's a dearth of services and um, medications are easier to prescribe and a quicker you know way to get through the motions and counseling and good counselors especially are difficult to find anywhere in the world for the matter of fact so uh, and people also like quick quick fixes uh, everyone would like to save their time and their money and and everyone would like to you know I mean most people would feel that if a pill can help them then why not and and we give the and it's a common analogy you must have heard that you know if you're diabetic then you need insulin similarly if you're deficient in serotonin you need an SSRI to deal with those problems so that messaging also contributes to people uh, trying to look for quick fixes uh, but it's not that simple I feel uh, and definitely do you feel like that those messages have like really permeated in in the in in India and the population, because I know in the U.S., I mean, for several decades we've had uh, direct-to-consumer advertising, you know, talking about mental illness and the the cause of mental illness in a very biological way that really supports the the use of medications. Do you feel like that's the same in India, where people they come to the doctor looking for a medical cure for you know this this medical problem in their brain is is that the same has that been built up in the same way in india as it has in the us um actually we don't have direct advertisements i'm aware that happens in the united states but uh having said that there are you know cities and there are you know rural areas so in the cities and the metropolitan posh areas of course this messaging is there it's pretty prevalent so however in the rural areas and the backward areas uh, this kind of thing hasn't permeated yet to the roots so they still be, they believe in you know more traditional approaches and not going for pharmaceuticals so it's a very dynamic population here in india so it's it's situation and area dependent i would say so yeah yeah well, I tell you what, we're 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 at about time. I mean, I could talk to you for a million years about your experience in training, and and, yeah. and may, may, maybe we will again. But I want to be respectful of the time difference, and I know it's pretty late where you are, so uh, this this might be a good time to end. Is is did you have any final thoughts or any final things that you wanted to share um, with the audience yeah. before we wrapped up? Uh, so yeah, two or three things which I really wanted to share before we wrap up. So first of all, uh, I feel that yes, there are, we don't have current situations in our hand, but we should be doing whatever we can with what we have. So we have, people are coming up and videos are coming up. People like you are taking the initiative to bring these things to the forefront. And I really applaud you for that. And similarly, I applaud many other people. PSSD Network was one of the initiators which came up during this time when I was going through this. And then we had this photo campaign idea that blew up. And that is how I, I thought that that was the, you know, the needle which broke the camel's back. And eventually it set things in motion. Now, PSSG network has expanded a lot. And now even videos are coming up. Then there are people like you who are bringing awareness on YouTube. So I feel that people need to come up. They need to come forward. And in what, and people have limitations. I have my own limitations. But you have to do your bit because no one else is going to fight your battles. So come out with your stories, uh, try to donate to research, um, try to do whatever you can. Uh, one of the things I did was I print out my, you know, 
uh, all the research papers that have come up in the recent years and i take those to psychiatrist neurologist any person who i uh, who i am taking advice from that actually starts uh, helps in bringing out conversations because being hostile towards it being uh, miserable about this condition will not help you you know uh, will not help you in any way so my message out there is that uh, to the masses is that you need to really try to do whatever you can and every small step counts and that is how science progresses so i it's my honest you know <laughs> uh request to everyone out there yeah to the best yeah it it is it, you know i think um what what you've contributed to today is something that will endure i mean online uh, you know alongside you know what is a growing number of these reports where you know this this is a fairly unusual condition but if someone ever wanted to learn about this i mean now they have you know these these interviews with people and I mean, this is really clinical diagnostics, um, and so uh, you're contributing to it. And I think it's just it's it's going to do a lot for the identification of um, these adverse reactions and how people can you know actually treat them in the future. So, yeah, yeah, I want to say thank you, and I want to say you. you know please keep in touch. And if you um, decide to pursue the USMLE again when you're feeling better. And you come to the U.S., uh, you know, I'm going to open up a hospital one day for adverse <laughs> reactions, you know, psychiatric ones. And you should let me know because <laughs> I, I think you'd be perfect. So, yeah. So. Sure. Um, okay, well, I'm going to let you go. And, but, yeah. but thanks again. It was, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Drs. Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at WitDuringPsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.